go to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to read verses 19 through 29. And if you need to be seated, you certainly may be seated. But if you are able to stand, we just want to give honor to God's word today. Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse number 19. I'll give you a moment. This is going to be the last week of uh, this letters to the churches in uh, the book of Revelation, and uh, we're going to be combining two of them. We're going to be reading about Thyatira today, and then uh, uh, the other one that kind of falls into this same category. We're not going to read the scripture because it's very, very similar to Thyatira, uh, but it's the church of Pergamum. And so uh, we're going to uh, focus on Thyatira with the understanding that a lot of these things apply to both. And so there are a couple of minuscule, minuscule differences, but uh, the, the big idea uh, we are going to be taking from the letter to the church of Thyatira. So with that being said, this is what the word says this morning in Revelation 2. It says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do you hold, who do you not hold this teaching, who do not hold this teaching, excuse me, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan? To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God, one more time, we just ask that you add your blessing to your word today. Let us be open-minded and open-hearted to hear what you have to say, and let us receive your word with love and with truth this morning. In your name, amen. You can be seated this morning. Uh, Revelation, like I've said in previous weeks, is considered to be the, the scary book of the Bible. There's a lot of harsh things that occur Uh, within this last book of the Bible. There's a lot of judgment from God. There's a lot of uh, hard things that are that are in here that seem like like, wow, that doesn't sound like the Jesus we know from the Gospels. Well, the reality of it is, is the Gospel messages where, where Jesus says, he says, I didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world. Well, now when we get to Revelation, now we've kind of come to the end of things, the end of time to where uh, Jesus even talked about in the Gospels, I will return again and there will be a judgment day coming. So as we come into Revelation, we, we come into that period of judgment towards the end of 
uh, of time here on earth, uh, at the beginning of Revelation, moving into our time of eternity in heaven, in the presence of God forever. And forever is a very, very long time. But as we are, are closing out this, this journey we've been on, um, uh, we see here in this church that it seems like some very harsh judgment uh, coming upon them, and it just goes to show how how God views these issues that uh, Thyatira and Pergamum were guilty of. Uh, they were guilty of one tolerating the the woman Jezebel. Now, it's not a literal woman. If you understand the Old Testament back in Second uh, Kings, uh, there is a woman who is married to King Ahab who uh, is, is very manipulative, is very sneaky, and, and hates the prophets of God and does everything she can to kill them. And, uh, but, but what she is, is, is she's a manipulator above all, and she doesn't want to be the head. She doesn't want to be seen. She wants to be behind the scenes, but she's more like the neck that turns the head to get her bidding done. And so it's a spirit of manipulation because I believe it's in 2 Kings chapter 9, we see Jezebel is finally killed and, and, and she is no more in person, but there's a spirit that she carried that we call the spirit of Jezebel. Has anybody ever heard that phrase before? And, uh, and it is a spirit of manipulation and control, and it's very sneaky, it's very gossipy, it's very uh, behind the scenes working, and, and it, it shapes the mind and the heart of the people around that spirit. And what has happened is, is this church has tolerated it and allowed it to remain within its walls, within its congregation. And the, the spirit of Jezebel, which, by the way, although is a woman in the Old Testament, it does not mean that it is exclusive for a woman to carry that. There are certainly plenty of men that carry that Jezebel spirit as well, but within this church, it was allowed to exist. It was allowed to function. They never dealt with the manipulation that was happening. And what happened was, is there there was a, a large group of the servants, and probably the majority of the servants within this church, that gave into it, and they were turned, as Jezebel likes to be the neck, they turned their heads away from Jesus, away from truth, away from righteousness, and turned them to face and to believe and to focus on all these things way off over here, idol worship, giving into sexual immorality, and all of these crazy wild things that she had managed to manipulate, that this spirit of Jezebel managed to manipulate and turn them from truth. And now Jesus is dealing with them in Revelation chapter 2, giving them opportunity to repent. You know, when we talk about the judgment that comes in this, and, and it talks about though her children will be struck dead. It's not literal children. It's children in the sense of people who follow her and belong to her. I use her, but it's the Jezebel spirit, those who belong to Jezebel, those who belong to this spirit that's who he's talking about in this scripture. Anybody that falls into that category is going to have a rough time. And it's because they lead astray. And they themselves have been led astray. And I find it interesting when he talks about how he will put Jezebel on a sickbed. And those who belong to Jezebel on a sickbed. I find it interesting that the issues at hand here with Jezebel are, are issues that end up 
being on the big screen, on the news channels, on social media with some big name people that fall into this trap within their churches. And, and it seems to me, maybe I'm the only person that notices this type of stuff, but uh, I, I feel like there have been some large ministries and some large pastors over the past probably five to ten years that have fallen from grace and have fallen away from truth and, and have been caught in things that, they, that we never thought they would have been caught in, and I believe that they fell victim to this spirit of Jezebel, and they found themselves on this sickbed. They, they found themselves in this position, but we need to understand today that this spirit of Jezebel isn't like an overnight flip of the switch thing that it all just shifts all at one time. It's a slow thing, because the Bible even says, Jesus says, I gave them many opportunities to repent, and they refused. That, that tells me that there was a, a, a very good amount of time where Jesus was trying to, to help, trying to work on them, and, and it just got to a point where time ran out, and there was no more time left to give. But there was so much opportunity, and, and see, we'll get focused on the judgment, but we'll, we'll miss out on the opportunity for forgiveness, and we forget about that part. And, and it wasn't just like, uh, this has happened, this is wrong, and boom, judgment. It was, hey, this is happening, this is wrong. God is speaking to these people, trying to pull them out of the darkness, pull them out of the lies, bring them into truth, but they just refuse. It's slow. If it was fast, it would, I think it would really be easy to fix. But you see, the lies over a long period of time, little by little, build up to where we create a reality of truth in ourselves. And we believe that these lies become truth. Because that same spirit of manipulation that manipulated people uses truth, uses things in Scripture. Even Satan tries to use Scripture to manipulate Jesus when Jesus was fasting in the wilderness after he was baptized. There was, it uses truth. It uses these things and it flips them around and manipulates them and weaponizes them to lead people and to lead churches, to lead servants of Christ away to fall into these lies. So we have to be so guarded against all of this. The two things that really they got caught up in was, number one, it says they ate food sacrificed to idols. In other words, they begin to engage in idol worship. They begin to allow idols to be a thing within this church, within this people. Idols, to make it very plain and simple for you today, are anything that takes your affection away from God. Idols are anything that take the place of God in your life. And I, I think we sometimes get this idea that idols are this, this, this golden calf. It, it's a tangible thing. It, it's a, it's a, a Buddha statue or it's something real tangible or it's the, the, the crystal rocks that have become real popular here as of late. All these different things. And, and we, we think it's those things, but reality... Idols can be other people. Idols can be an ideology. Idols can be your bank account. Idols can be a lot of things. Your job, it can even be your family. It can be a sports team. It, it can be all kinds of things. It comes in so many shapes and forms. 
and it's anything that you love more than you love God. I find it interesting that in, in a lot of churches, people are so willing to sacrifice for, for their sports team. They're so willing to sacrifice and, and to give time and money and energy and effort and, and, and resources and, 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 and all of these things. They'll give up coming to church on a Sunday so they can go and, and sit in an, in a, you know, once in a while it's okay to, to, to take a vacation. And that's not what I'm saying and to, to go do something fun with your family. But what I am saying is some people have made it a habit, a ritual, uh, an act of worship to give all of this time and energy and effort to going and sitting in an arena and, wor- and worship people throwing a ball around. And it may not even be in an arena. It may be down at the park and we've made it an idol not just for us but for our children. To where we've said, no, you don't need to go to church because you have soccer or whatever, basketball, football, whatever it may be going on, that that becomes more important. And we say it's only for a season, but then the next sport comes around. And, and maybe it's we, we get so hung up in, in all of these other things in life that now we, we've allowed ourselves to become so busy and so worrisome that now we have no longer allowed any time left for God. And what we do is we give to all these other areas. We, we all have been guilty of this. We give to all these other areas. And it's like, well, I still have a little bit of time left, so I'll make sure I'm in church. I'll make sure I'm part of uh, the, the outreach. I'll make sure that I, I get a couple scriptures read today. I'll, I'll spend a few moments in prayer. When in reality, what, what should happen is, is we are so close to God. We have spent so much time with him. We are so engaged in our relationship with him. That's like, and, and his will for our life and doing what he gives us to do that. It's like, oh, hey, I still have a little bit of time. Why don't I pick up a hobby and go play soccer or football or whatever? But, like, sometimes we get these things so twisted up. And there's nothing wrong with a hobby. There's nothing wrong with playing a sport. That's, don't misunderstand what I'm saying today. But there, there are times when those things, we allow them to become first place in our life. And maybe it's been a while. You might be far removed from those issues in your life. And that might not be the most relevant example for you as an individual, but if you just look at your life, look at what takes away so much time and that you have nothing left for God. Now, you, you can't just go into a prayer closet and never leave. You do have to go to work. You, you do have to actually go see your family once in a while and interact with them. I'm not talking extreme here. I'm talking, I'm talking priority here. And if we do it right, God is not separated from the priority list. He is the priority list. And what I mean by that is if God is really everything to you, then he is involved in your family and your family with him. He is involved in your job and your career, and he is part of that with you and for you. He is part of that athletic program, a part of your sport, a part of your coaching journey, a part of whatever it is. He is part of all of that. He's not separate from that. And, and that's really the, the best picture I can draw for you is that he, he, he is the priority list in all things. He is center in all things. 
Colossians 1 teaches us that he is preeminent. He is above all things. By him, all things hold together. He is the center of it all. Not, not just above it all, he is in it all and should be in our life. And that, that is how we prevent idols from taking his place. That is how we move from him, from, from him being the center of it all. That is how we make sure he is the center of it all, rather, instead of all these other things, and then we just keep him off to the side or in our back pocket. But this church had moved their focus off of the main thing being Jesus and moved it on to all these other things. And it's interesting is that they were even commended for their love, their faith, their service, their endurance, their patience, all all of these things they were commended for. But what really happened is those, those things they were commended for, those were good qualities, but they were misguided and being used in areas that did not honor God. And so Jesus gives them this correction and tells them, listen, you have some good qualities. You're just using them in the wrong way. And you need to repent and come back to what I've called you to be, to what I've called you to do. He moves on and he says, it's not just the idol worship, but you've been seduced into this this realm of, of sexual immorality and in today's world, this is one of those topics that nobody really wants to talk about. It's, it's slowly becoming the acceptable sin. It used to be that we are just okay with overeating and gluttony. But now we've moved into accepting all kinds of stuff within the church. And that's been a problem, as you've seen throughout this, this five-week journey here, that it's been a problem. And every single one of these, is, except for two of them, is that it was compromise and allowing things to exist that should not exist within the church. Listen, I don't get mad at sinners for sinning because that's what sinners do. And Jesus isn't out there condemning the world in this letter He's condemning the church. And so we need to understand something before we dive into this too much is that, that like, when, when sinner, it, it, let, me, let me say it like this. The gospel says, come as you are. Jesus says, come as you are. But it also says we don't get to stay as we are. You love all people no matter what their walk of life is. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it also says that there is a new life and a new hope, and then if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and all has become new. And so while, while, while yes, we love all people, we love them enough to see them be transformed so that when this judgment day finally comes, they aren't standing on the wrong side of the gavel. And rather, they enter into eternity with us and alongside us rather than be cast out into outer darkness for eternity. And so we're not grabbing pitchforks and torches. If anything, we're grabbing a mirror to look at ourselves and say, what do we allow and how do we handle it moving forward? And so I need to to, to dive into this and just disclaimer, I'm not going to apologize for truth, but I will let you know that some of this stuff can be close to home for some of us, and I want you just to at least understand that everything I ever preach, no matter what it is, it's always truth in love. 
because I want all to have the eternal life that I have found. So what is sexual immorality? It's anything outside of God's plan and design for sexual sexuality. And how God has designed sexuality is between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. So you have this, if I, would have had, if I had a whiteboard up here, I would draw it out for you. I would put one man, one woman in a circle, call it marriage, and anything outside of that is sin. That, that is the simplest, plainest way I can describe it to you. And so Genesis 1.27, just to back this claim up for you, says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. In Ephesians 5.31, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. If you don't understand what that means, on the wedding night when you consummate the marriage through sexual relations, that's what that's talking about. That is two becoming one flesh. There's actually science behind this, believe it or not. There is scientific evidence that talks about this bond that is created in the marriage room, in the marriage bed. There is chemicals and hormones that are released that creates a, a, a real scientific biological connection between two people. And so when we understand this, that God created this sexuality for, for intimacy in marriage, for one. It's for a bond of husband and wife to be strong and intimate between the two people and, and, to, and to allow that to happen. But uh, not just that, but also for procreation as well. Those are the two main reasons God created it this way. And it takes one man and one woman to procreate. No matter how you spin it, shake it up, try to change how the, the science works, it still takes egg from a woman, seed from a man. And I'm, I'm trying not to be graphic with all of this for you today, but we need to understand what, it, what morality is in order for us to understand what immorality is. And so as we understand the scope of what God said is biblical sexuality... And, and, and it's for procreation. He told Adam and Eve to go be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Like, it, it's commanded. Like, it's for procreation. It's for intimacy and marriage. It's for that bond of marriage. And anything outside of that is sin. So what, what, what are some things that are outside of it? If you just look at culture today, we could go down a list. I've listed a few of them. And it's, it's interesting that this list continues to grow all the time of new creative ways that people have come up with, and I don't even know if creative is the right word, uh, new ways of experiencing sexuality in ways that people never thought possible of being animals and with animals and all kinds of craziness that is going on in this world today. And you might think you're making that up, but uh, I've got a couple people that work within the school system. That this generation uh, has some ideas about sexuality that they can confirm is to be true. And, and so one of them being, it's kind of the big one that, uh, that really stands out first and foremost is the, the acts of homosexuality, same-sex interaction. 
In Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, he says, For this reason God gave them up to their dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men the likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. The Bible's very clear on this. But what, what we really need to understand is that Romans 1 actually goes a step further and, and tells us that not just those who commit these acts are guilty of sin, but those who approve of it are guilty. Those who enable it. And so while we love the people and they're going to sin because they're sinners and they haven't seen the light, you, you can love a person without approving of their actions. Any, I feel like anybody that has children or grandchildren or, or a niece or a nephew or whatever or, or just somebody you care about can really understand this type of love because I don't always love everything Eleanor does, even though she's only 18 months old. I still love her. And listen, we're talking like she climbs up on the kitchen table type of stuff. We're not talking about she's out there doing anything crazy. I don't love it. And why do I not love it? Because I know the potential harm it can cause her. There is a due penalty for this action that, Jesus, or that Paul writes about in Romans chapter 1. There, there are consequences for these things. It's not just a, an eternal consequence. There's even consequences in the now for these types of things, physical consequences. And we got to understand why the immorality exists. It's because of sin. The Bible teaches us also in Romans, uh, it's somewhere between 5, 6, and 7, that when the law came in, sin also came in. And what, he, what Paul says is, is sin came alive because the law existed. In other words, I, I didn't even know what coveting was. I'm paraphrasing. This is the Brandon Scott unauthorized translation. I didn't even know what coveting was until the law said, do not covet. And then all of a sudden, there was something on the inside of me that desired coveting in my life. Like there is the sin nature. It takes God's truth and flips it within us to where now we are doing the opposite of what God said. And we have a desire to do the opposite of what God said. And so as we Excuse me, as we move through this, we need to understand that why this even exists as a sin and why it's against God's plan for it. And, number, and really the main thing, there's so much depth we could get into on this, and I'm just not going to go that far with it today because we just don't have the time. But homosexuality is the temptation and sin from the enemy with the purpose to destroy God's plan for procreation. Like we said earlier, it takes one man and one woman to create life, no matter how you spin it, shake it up, rewrite it, however you want to do it. That is biology. And if there's no people on the earth, it destroys God's plan for people. To love him, to experience him, to have his presence in their life. And so the enemy in sin has twisted what God says is right and has moved it into a way to go against God's plan for procreation. The next one that is a hot topic in today's culture is transgenderism. 
We've already discussed in Genesis chapter 1 that God created them one man and one woman. This is the one who, this is the sin and the temptation that seeks to corrupt God's plan for identity in the life of his creation to deter them from becoming who God has created them to be. You see, God has made us male and female on purpose, and each side, each gender has, has a, a design for it within that role. Men have their role. Women have their role. And not one is greater than the other. They are complementary to each other. There is a reason why God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for man to be alone and made him a woman to be by his side. He said he needs a helpmate. He needs somebody to stand by him and to, and to help strengthen him. There are times where Mackenzie is my brain for me because I just forget things. And she reminds me of things. That she is my encouragement. She, she gives me strength when I feel like I don't have it sometimes. And, and she, she's there for me to help me in, in times of need and, and all of these things. Like I need her in my life. God created her for me in my life. God created Eve for Adam. And so these gender roles have their respective role, but if those things are, are so skewed and so, and so, uh, um, what's, uh, so twisted in the mind of, of people who are falling to this temptation, then they can never fulfill their purpose that God has for them. That, that is the attack of sin, is that it says, God says you are a man or you are a woman. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to twist it up and confuse you. And you're going to spend so much time fighting this that you will never be everything God wants you to be. That that is his plan. It's to twist what God has called and God has created to turn it into something that destroys you. And there are consequences, yes, in eternity, but there are consequences here on earth. The stuff you go through to switch sides destroys the human body. It destroys the temple that God calls it. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and we destroy it when we given it actually in that in the I think that's in 2 Corinthians it's in one of the Corinthians it talks about it in the context of sexual immorality that sexual immorality is different from all the other sins because it's a sin against the body other it says sin, other sins take place outside of the body but this sin affects the body on the inside and that's what makes it different that's what makes it different not worse different than gossiping different than lying and stealing. It's because it destroys what God has created. Now we're, there's two more I want to talk about, and then I'm going to give you the hope. The next one is heterosexual sex outside of the marriage covenant. Now we've totally switched gears. Because the first two, it's easy for us in society, especially to say, yeah, we can say no to those. Even people who don't love Jesus say no to those. But all of a sudden, when you, you bring it back upon those who are not in the homosexual and transgender part of, of this issue at hand, all of a sudden it's like, well, 
hold on, you got to have some grace. We got to give grace to the whole thing. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 says, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Now, I'm not saying anybody that you uh, connect with in a sexual way is a prostitute, but the point of this is, is you create a bond with another person that is not your spouse that down the road can ruin and affect, in a negative way, the marriage covenant. You are essentially cheating on your spouse before you have your spouse. You are creating, like we mentioned earlier, the biological and chemical connection between you and that person. And there's a lot more science I could get into, but I, I think it might just be a little bit too graphic for us and some people might pass out. But the, 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 there is a lot that happens in that interaction between those two people that, that the world says, oh, it's just a good time. We like each other. We're attracted. What's the big deal? It's just we agree. We're consenting adults. What's the big deal? The reality of it is it's a major deal because if God created Eve for Adam, he created a spouse for you and I, we do them a disservice and we do ourselves a disservice. There are, there are things that happen that actually will, will, the science says that after many, many partners, after time goes on, those chemicals stop being produced in the body. Like, it's not biologically designed to have that many connections with that many different people. And so over time, it can affect that production to where now the bond can't take place like God intended it to with your husband or wife. Like there is consequences for this stuff here on earth. The last one being lusting slash cheating or adultery. I use that category because uh, this one also seeks to destroy the intimate bond formed in marriage, uh, and, and, but it has no real limit to when it attacks. Because you see, if you're married, and we'll talk about the grace of God and restoration here in just a moment, and we'll do it quickly, but I need to keep moving. See, all of that happens in the physical, but there's something that can happen in the heart and mind of a person, man or woman. They're both susceptible to it, although usually this is more connected to men, that when you lust after another woman, and Jesus talks about it in Matthew 5, 28, that if, if you lust after another woman or man, in your heart you have committed adultery. You can create an emotional connection to somebody other than your spouse through those thoughts, through those feelings. And, it, and all of this is designed by Satan himself through the workings of sin and temptation to corrupt God's design for sexuality. And it affects, like we think, well, what does this have to do with the church as a whole? A church as a whole, if it is not holy, cannot be effective and cannot be approved by God. And like we discussed earlier, the church is not just a physical location and an organization, but it is people. And if we are not holy before God, we have a lot of issues 
that we're going to have to deal with. Now, I want to give us some hope here. Uh, for we need to understand that God can and will deliver. First Corinthians six nine through eleven. I'm I'm not going to read the whole thing because we're going to run out of time this morning. But he goes through an entire list of all of these all of these sins. He talks about sexual immoral, idolaters, which we talked about, uh, uh, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, all of these things. And he says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he goes on to say, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. In other words, yes, you were in that position. Yes, you, you were in that sin. That sin had its effect on you. But God, by his great mercy and grace, came in, saved you, washed you, cleaned you up, sanctified you, made you holy, and then justifies you before God so that when we stand before him as a saved new creation, like we talked about earlier, the old has passed away, all has become new. We can stand before God holy again. We, we have to understand that, yes, like we talked about the connection of husband and spouse can be damaged and, 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 and all that, but it doesn't mean it can't be restored. We talked about the, 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 the physical consequences of some of these things, but it doesn't mean God can't lead you to solutions to solve it. We have to understand this, that God can and will deliver and restore people. Like, yes, there's a lot of heavy stuff we talked about in this, and there's a lot of weight to be carried and a lot of weight to be felt, and I have felt it all week praying about how to share this message because I really didn't want to. I told Mike this morning, he came into the office and saying hi to me, I said, I don't really want to preach this one this morning. I'd rather talk about faith, love, and hope. But we have to understand that we have a calling and a responsibility to be a holy, sanctified church and group of people, of believers. There's a few things we need to understand today that will allow us to guard ourselves and to protect and preserve ourselves. First, we need to understand that temptation itself is not sin. Temptation leads to sin, as James chapter 1 tells us, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. In other words, we are born, the, 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 David wrote in the book of Psalms that he was conceived in iniquity. Like, we, we have a sin nature from day one. And in that sin nature, we all have different things that tempt us. What tempts me may not tempt you. What tempts you probably won't tempt me. That's just how it is. But, but, there, but the reality of it is, is the temptation that comes to our individual sin natures in and of itself is not sin. In other words, temptation is really more of the alarm that goes off that should notify us that something isn't right with the heart and the desires that we have in our heart, and we need to switch some things around within us, which leads me to the second thing is we need a transformed heart or desires. In other words, Ezekiel 36 tells us, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. A heart that does not look like Jesus and has not been replaced by Jesus will never be able to fight temptation. 
It is not enough to just hate sin. We have to love Jesus so much and our heart belong to him so much that sin just isn't even on our radar anymore. Because like James 1 tells us, it starts with a desire, which leads to a temptation, which temptation is just that, that urge to act on said desire. But if we can change the desires, which starts with a changed heart, we can move from that temptation and have victory over it. And we need to understand that, yes, temptation can actually be overcome. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says that there is no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You see, we're not just in a trap of there's no hope but to give in to temptation. There's no hope but to have temptation. God gives us the tools to overcome it. There is no sin that can hold us down. There is no sin that can rule over us. In fact, Romans teaches us that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. Two more things for you this morning, and then we'll close. A way for us to guard ourselves after we understand that we have to have a transformed heart, we can actually overcome it, and that temptation isn't sin. Acting on temptation is sin. We need to understand two ways that we can, like, pragmatically and practically, like today, start doing that will help us overcome it. First and foremost... You have to remove the source of temptation. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, he says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Please don't go physically gouge your eye out and cut your hand off. Metaphorically, though, some of us need to delete some stuff in our phones, off of our computers. We need to stop hanging around certain people that lead us to believe those temptations. We need to cut off some things in our life that lead us to have those desires rise up into temptation. Anybody ever like just been like you didn't have a sweet tooth until you drove by the ice cream store? And now you're like, you know, ice cream sounds really good. Or the ice cream store was closed for the season and they open up and they announce it. Now all of a sudden you have a craving for ice cream. That craving didn't exist when the ice cream store was closed. I heard a story about a guy who was delivered from alcoholism, and he, every day he drove by the liquor store on his way. This is a true story, by the way. Another preacher told it to me. Drove by the liquor store every day on the way home, and he came to the preacher one day mourning and crying, saying, I fell, I sinned, I gave in to that. And he says, well, what happened? He goes, every day I have to drive by this liquor store, and I drive by it, and I see it, and then that desire stirs up inside. I mean, the pastor looked at him and said, you just need to find a new way home. Don't go near it. We have to cut off those sources of temptation, change who we hang out with, spend our time with, the stuff we listen to, the stuff we watch. Stop believing the lies that the world tells us about gender and sexuality and all of that and look into the scriptures and see what it says and let the Bible says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can't have a renewed mind if you don't have a source to renew it with.
we renew it by his word. Finally today, the Bible says, flee temptation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which talks all about sexual immorality, it says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin in a person commits, that a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immorality is committed against his own body. Flee, like run away. I think of Jacob back working in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife comes to him and wants Jacob to come join her in the bedroom, and Jacob runs. Like sometimes we we leave ourselves in a situation, in a place, and we'll say, I'm just going to fight it. I'm just going to pray through it. I'm just going to do it. Sometimes you just need to go somewhere else. You need to get far away from it. If you're sitting at Applebee's and that bar starts looking real good and you're like, oh, man, I've been delivered from alcoholism for 30 years, but, man, for whatever reason, you might just need to just say, hey, listen, you can cancel my order. Here's a nice generous tip for the trouble, and I'm out of here. You might need to find new coworkers to be around. You might need to not hang around certain people. There, Satan will place people, places, things, you name it. you got to fill in the blank for yourself with some of this stuff. In front of you and around you to tempt you. You might think you're good, and it's when you let your guard down that it comes at us the most. We have to guard ourselves. Will you stand with me? We're going to close this morning.